stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! More disappointed than a man who just figured out how to use the Measure app on his iPhone. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Filling in for your friendly neighborhood host, Andre Harrison, I am RJ O'Connell, and welcome to episode 163 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We have a lot to talk about. We have, uh, well, we had a race in uh, in Sochi. That uh, that happened. Yeah, Formula 2. Oh, man, that was that was definitely the main event of that entire Sochi Autodrome race weekend. And Formula One happened as well. And people were a bit perturbed by the way that played out. We'll talk about that. And also driver moves happen. Driver moves happening in Formula One. Driver moves happening in IndyCar. Um, we have Fight Club is back. Fight Club is back, y'all, and it's in touring cars. And also... Y'all, what the fuck was that Roval race in NASCAR? <laughs> it was the greatest dumpster five I've ever seen. Y'all, y'all, they, they just set it ablaze. We'll talk about all of that. And, of course, joining us uh, from from the City of Champions, uh, that would be Ryan King from uh, from New York City. Hello, Ryan. Yeah, it's, it's been it's been a little barren in terms of basketball championships, but we got championships and pretty much everything else. So yeah, that that seems pretty apt. Excellent. Yes, um, baseball season is starting up. We're actually watching the uh, the National League Division tiebreaker games. I say games plural because <laughs> we have two of them: Chaos Reign Supreme. The playoffs start later this week. I am trying not to talk myself into the fact that the Atlanta Braves could potentially win the National League pennant. Don't talk yourself into this. And even if you do, um, be aware that whoever comes out of the American League is just going to... It's at best going to be a gentleman's sweep. <laughs> it's you know, just, you know it, it may not be a full sweep, but you know they're probably going to win one game out of this. Um, also joining us from, uh, from another city of champions adjacent to from uh from from the great uh, speedway capital world uh from indiana christopher to hardy oh uh, yeah yeah what a weekend from the interesting show that we saw over in charlotte to the no show we saw in sochi to uh just the motorsports news all over the world it was definitely a weekend to, to remember and a lot of positives too although not necessarily for you guys with how you're uh respective bills and jets played but eh, it is what it is you can't take them all as a win yeah sometimes you just gotta just lose to both the browns and the jags and back-to-back weeks yeah yeah i mean those great respected uh perennial winning organizations (laughs) uh like the cleveland browns and jacksonville jaguars um, you know those fine. You know they 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 help put prestige back into the NFL. Unlike those struggling losers like the New England Patriots. <laughs> I, I set my expectations on the on the ground, and I think that worked for all of us. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That that absolutely happened. 
So, y'all, um, so stuff has happened, um, and we're going to talk about it on this episode of Motorsport 101. And I'd like to thank everybody who's listening in on uh, on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you very much. There are many places you can find what we do, our podcasts, and what we write. We are at motorsport101.com is the hub for everything Motorsport 101. Find us on youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 for all of our show highlights and many other goodies. Facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101. Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. And if you wish to back us financially, you can back us on patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access to both this show and to bike live on the Motorsport 101 network. And if you pay us $10, you can listen to the show as it's being recorded. Hello, Johnson. Hello, Black and Mild. Hello, Cam, Danny, Jason, Steve. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for listening as this is being recorded. Um, I'm sorry we've took too long to uh, to get to the actual meat of the show again. It happens sometimes because we, we just, just really like to talk about how much Scuderia Ferrari is a dumpster fire. <laughs> which is which is why Dre is not here. Dre is swatting all of the randos out of his uh out of his curious gad inbox. It, it's a full time job, but somebody's got to do it. Dre will be back next week. Um, after this quick musical interlude, let's talk about the Russian Grand Prix. And uh, and folks, I have uh, well, folks, I haven't seen a uh, a, a more deflating finish uh, outcome. Uh, since the 2014 men's hockey tournament. six races left to go in the formula one season this is prime this is prime real estate for sebastian vettel to swipe to strike back because he knows he has been hemorrhaging points left and right to lewis hamilton who is in the absolute one of the forms of his life i don't know if this is the form of his life but he's certainly driving very very well so naturally what they didn't want to have happen is to end up being over a half second off the pace of Mercedes in qualifying, and nowhere even close for most of the race. If you were looking for this Russian Grand Prix to help put inject some zest back in this championship fight that's starting to wane as the uh, as the races dwindle down, you probably were very very disappointed by this race, among many other things you were disappointed by this race. The fact that it started two hours earlier than expected, so you naturally overslept through the whole thing, or the lack of, uh, or the lack of variance tire strategy, or the lack of on-track overtaking. Well, <laughs> there was one. Uh, well, unless you were a Red Bull, then there was plenty of on-track overtaking out of necessity. And of course, there was one very notable. And uh, whoo, goodness, what a what a brilliant pass! It's almost like it was meant to happen that way. Um, King, yeah. How much of this Russian Grand Prix did you watch? I watched uh, 
all of it after the fact. I did. I didn't watch it live. I went in knowing what was gonna happen, and I sat down and I took it. <sighs> Sounds like my first time. <laughs> Boy, um, King, what was your assessment of this race as the uh, as the resident Sochi watcher of our panel today? Uh. It was the usual fare for Formula 1 at Sochi where, like, yeah, Formula 2, GP3, that great race. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about Formula 2 and GP3 in a second, but, man, uh, it's interesting that um, these cars, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just the track surface or the lack of tire strategy or what, but this race wasn't fun unless you were like locked in on F1 TV to uh, either Matt Verstappen or Daniel Ricciardo's onboards. And we'll talk about that shortly, but Lewis Hamilton had a pretty, pretty event, pretty, um, pretty controlled race in the second half. But we want to talk about the first half because in qualifying, and there's more stuff to talk about in qualifying as well. Uh, Valtteri Botas took pole position on a track where he'd never been out qualified for his teammate and where he won his first career race last year about 18 months ago remember we moved sochi to the end of the calendar where it was towards the beginning of the calendar last season um so valtteri botas has qualified on pole position you know he's leading the first stint of this race very very comfortably lewis hamilton as it runs is just past sebastian vettel on track he's going to gain points no matter what so you would figure you know, in the sporting sense of the world, that maybe Mercedes might, you know, hey, Valtteri Bottas, he hasn't won a race this year, but he's had some tough breaks. And this is a track where he's really selling at and he's doing all the right things. Maybe we should probably just, you know, let possessions hold. Lewis Hamilton will still gain points out of this, and Valtteri Bottas can pick up his first win of the season. Cue, nope. um, cue about lap 24 um, when, uh, when, Formula One catches an intriguing screen cap of Total Wolf on the pit boss. Uh, his finger is right above a, uh, a certain button on the uh, on his uh, pit wall. It says tactics, tactics. <laughs> then about an hour, then about a lap, about the same lap, I believe it was. We get the uh, we get the radio call from, and I'll have the right James this time. This is coming from James Allison, um, who introduces oh, himself. Man. Yes. So this is the big man coming in with a uh, with a radio message to Valtteri. It says, "It's James. Um, we have a situation with, uh, with Lewis's car. Uh, we're gonna need you to uh, just move over to the side a bit." And Valtteri complies with the request. Lewis Hamilton sends it very easily up the inside, and they swap positions as they will hold for the rest of the race. Lewis Hamilton picks up his picks up career win number 70 but many people feel that it should have been Valtteri Bottas's. Most importantly though gives Lewis Hamilton 50 points of an advantage over Sebastian Vettel who finishes third instead of 43. Now this was this was another very divisive case of team orders and it's not the first time Mercedes have gotten admonished for this do we recall germany after the vettel wreck where they basically just told uh valtteri botas to just back off of lewis hamilton just a bit yeah just a bit yeah um 
some outlets had compared it to the most infamous examples of team orders that people don't like Austria 2002 Germany 2010 you know, because it's late in the season Lewis is pulling away already why take a win off of Valtteri Bottas yeah because King, I assume tactics was a direct line to Bruce Wayne is played by Ben Affleck. If there's even a 1% chance that Sebastian Vettel could win this championship, then we must take it as an absolute certainty that Sebastian Vettel could win this championship. Oh, goodness. Yes. Pretty much. Um, King, your, uh, your reaction to, uh, to this, uh, this latest team orders scandal, um, we are back on the scale of, we do not like team orders. No, we do not. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm pretty just am, like, ambivalent where it's like, I just take it as a Cubs team orders. Okay, cool. Uh, Chris, perhaps you might see it differently. Um, I just hate the whole Cavalier attitude about it. Like, Toto came on after the race and said, Valtteri, it was difficult for you. It was difficult for us. No, it wasn't. You knew full well when the race began you were going to have Valtteri Botas move over for Lewis Hamilton like a lapdog unless Lewis was way far back there. You knew it from the beginning. Don't even bother. The the only worse um, move I saw all, or heard of all weekend was that late model stock race in Martinsville. Don't even get me started on that. It was, oh, and that's a whole other topic for later on. We should talk about that too. But no, it was difficult. No, it was not. Don't you even try to make it sound like it was difficult for you guys. Because I'll, the thing is that that pretty much every team has to say that if they use team orders, because fans don't like team orders. No, and not only that, <laughs> Falteri's faster. You know, he's done everything he needs to do what 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 do you need what else do you want and even then um yeah we're also looking at the fact that um oh we don't know if what can happen in the remaining races uh if lewis loses the title because of mclaren mercedes uh not having reliable cars that's on y'all that's not on him he's doing everything he can do if y'all give him something bad he can't work with it so don't act don't act like it's all cavalier and all this nonsense but um, um, it, it's it's just a rotten a rotten thing. I I hate it, but I mean, I there's nothing I can do to change it. Yeah, I mean, as I as I remarked uh, at one point after I had woken up from like a good, well deserved rest, I was I was feeling like you know maybe the only way we're gonna get rid of team orders if we, is if we dismantle the whole world constructors championship and therefore dismantle the the whole means of which teams whoa, get whoa, paid. Whoa, no, 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 that wouldn't mm-hmm. work because they're doing this to secure the drivers championship. Oh yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> this was a thing. This was a drivers championship order to move, but in most cases, most team orders are in place to make sure you instead of you know. Instead of throwing away a potential, um, goodness, how, 43 points, you know, instead of having your two teammates race into each other and potentially crash into each other, that's always the worst case scenario. Yeah. Yeah, you, you never want to go uh, Team Barry Green in 1999, where Paul Tracy arguably could have crossed his teammate Dario Franchi to the title. One thing I do want to say is um, if I were in Valtteri's shoes, I, it could have been very possibly said, they could say, why don't you move over for Lewis when we told you to? 
I can't move over for an order I can't hear. Ah, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yes. Um, yeah, it's a it's a two point five second margin of victory. The coded message was that um, Hamilton had blisters on his tires, which you know, if you read on its surface, it's just like, well, why not just pit Lewis Hamilton if you're concerned about blisters? Yeah, just the thought. Um, and as for Ferrari, shoo, um, Drake will tell you that this team doesn't have the best car. They've run out of excuses to why they're dilapidating in form. Sebastian Vettel finished seven seconds back, which isn't bad, but, you know, that's still ten points you're losing. And, uh, who, poor old Kimi Raikkonen, um, you know, just kind of there. I mean, he's still picking up points, but now, ironically... That was the best thing that could have happened to Valtteri Bottas in terms of the Drivers' Championship because he's now three points ahead of Kimi Raikkonen with that second-place finish. Um, should we talk about the Red Bulls then? Uh, and this ties into the other big controversy of the weekend. Qualifying and specifically the second phase of knockout qualifying. Now, I want to take it back to about uh, the time before we had the Q3 tire. Where basically you had to start the race on the tires that you qualified on. When you get to Q3, the tires that you start that you qualify on in Q3, those are the tires you start the race on. So you had a lot of teams that basically would just get through Q1, get through Q2, and knowing that they're already starting in the top half of the grid, they were just like, I'm good, <laughs> and just park it for the session, which made people upset. So that's how we got the uh, the Q3 tire rule. Basically, if you get into Q3, tires that you start the race on in Q2, those are the tires to start on. You get one extra yeah. set of hypersofts for a pole run. Um, and also, uh, for Q3, you also got a dedicated set of tires from Pirelli specifically for that session that you would oh, not yes. be able to use during the race. Yeah, but what if, uh, what, if in, what if in this second qualifying session you had a bunch of drivers who knew they were going to start at the back anyway? Well, you have what happened in Q3, where 10 drivers took a time. The other five just decided, we'll fold. That would be the two Red Bulls and Matt Verstappen and Daniel Ricciardo, who were about to receive a, to- a grand sum of 83 places of grid penalties for power unit changes, gearbox changes, and Matt Verstappen got an extra three for, ye- for an inf- yellow flag infringement in qualifying. They would have started the uh, race in Kazakhstan, back. right? Right. Yes, they would have started the race in. Uh, they effectively would have started the race in North Korea at this rate. <laughs> I mean, it's it's close by. Um, they are starting at the back. Pierre Gasly is starting at the back because he has changed most of it, most of. He has changed up most of his power unit, um, and the Renaults have just decided. Uh, well, we probably don't have a car that can get into Q three, so why don't we just uh save our effort all five of them just parked it up this made people mad this made people very upset so it's so upset to the point that now f1 is thinking like we have to scrap most of things we have to add an extra session in here we have to make it a top eight suit out and enhance it to four stages of qualifying formats is it is it just overkill because a couple of teams just decided like hey we, we found a cheat code yeah where it's like in isolation 
everything in Formula One is perfect, but when you put it, the machine, together, it, it doesn't work as well you, as you think it would, and there are a lot of loopholes. Oh, goodness, yeah. So we, so out of that, we got, uh, out of that, we got the, uh, the two Red Bulls, ultimately, Daniel Ricciardo starting in 19th, uh, in 18th, I should say, Matt Verstappen starting in 19th, and, uh, that was your excitement of the race. In fact, Formula One's official YouTube channel has actually just decided to give you exactly what you want. Uh, just a three-minute super clip of Mats Verstappen charging through the field. Um, from 19th, I'm actually looking at his start right now. He just gets out the line, passes Yasley like it's no big deal. Gets past Ricardo, which he'd stay through the whole race. By the way, Daniel Ricardo was driving with a damaged car, if I recall. If I recall correctly, he had damage to one of his wings, so that yes. didn't necessarily help things. But hey, the Red Bulls are so much faster than everybody else uh, that are not named Mercedes and Ferrari. Jesus Christ, he's up to he's up to P fifteen, and we haven't even gotten around the uh, around the little bend. Goodness, this is exactly what I wanted. So the Red Bulls had a fine and interesting race. Uh, that was about your only on-track action, and to be honest, you know, we kind of saw them charging up through fifth and sit from the back to fifth and sit anyway. It's still fun. Yeah, it was still fun to watch until, you know, he got up to the point where, you know, he's with cars that are, you know, equal to his pace. Yeah, and then he just had to work a little bit harder, just a little bit. It wasn't like... Artem Markalov in uh in Formula Two and we'll we'll talk about that here shortly. Um, other notable performances of the race. Uh, how about Charles Leclerc? It is he, Leclerc, and he had a good weekend. The Alpha Salvers were quick. Charles Leclerc qualified seventh, his best ever qualifying result, and finished seventh as well for his best finish since Baku. Something about these Alpha Saubers, they are quick in a straight line, and they're quick out of low-speed corners, and that just worked perfectly yeah. for Leclerc, who was dialed in all weekend. You know, some might wager a thought that maybe he could have been quicker than the factory Ferraris, which, <laughs> boy, if that had happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, goodness. Uh, but, yeah, fantastic weekend for Charles Leclerc. Ultimately, it's Max Verstappen who wins driver of the day because, you know, he made up... He made up 14 places in the race, which was really awesome. But, you know, don't discount what Leclerc did for holding on to 7th place with much faster cars on paper around him. That was a good-ass drive. Kevin Magnussen had a solid weekend. He qualified well. He qualified in, I want to say, he was was he 5th place in the grid? Yeah, he was 5th uh, place on the grid, ended up finishing 8th. And the two racing points, uh, qualified 6th and 8th, finished ninth and 10th, Esteban Ocon, and Sergio Perez rounding out the rest of the top 10. Oh, boy. That was about all there was to talk about about this race, if I'm if I'm feeling honest. Um, we hit a lot of the highlights, and most of it is just anguish over Mercedes using team orders. Yeah, yeah, Matt's first, yeah, pretty much uh, to, as Cam points out in the Discord, um, our chat here, because Cam is listening on us, um... Charles Leclerc was not the only one of the big sits, was the only one not to finish a lap down. That is frightening, and he was still about a uh, 
buck thirty eight off the uh, off the uh, the overall finishing time, which is still yeah. very impressive. I mean, seventh place is nothing to shout at, but damn, those big sits are fast, especially the big four inside of the big sits. <laughs> um, rate the race. Some, uh, gosh, I don't know. I think the team orders bit soured a lot of people. You know, Red Bull charging through the field was fine. Uh, everything else stayed pretty static. Um, I'll give it a, I don't know, maybe like three Alexander Ovechkin Cup celebrations out of ten. There was no collusion. Yeah, I was I was looking at a three too. It had it had its moments, but overall it was not enjoyable. It's not a race that I would go back and watch again. It was not a race where if you if you woke up at 7 in the morning, as you would have on the U.S. East Coast, or, God forbid, 4 in the morning on the West Coast, that you would felt good about the choice that you had made to put <laughs> your body through this amount of sleep deprivation just to get up and watch um, what was very much a nothing race that ultimately left the championship picture inert. Yeah, pretty much. Um... Chris, what sort of uh, what sort of Russian themed rating would you give this? Uh, I'd have to go with a three as well. Um, I mean, let's face it, Verstappen. Yeah, you were he was great in the race. He did a great job um, getting through the field. And in, in a year where all that people are still limited, F one's lack of overtaking. But when a driver does what he needs to do in Valtteri Bottas, and he's told through no fault of his own, to just see position like that. I know it's not the first time we've seen it, but are we going to get to a point eventually where we can just let the drivers actually race? So that's why I would agree and say, yeah, it's a four from me. Yeah, solid. Uh, also, by the way, in case, uh, in case you were wondering, Vladimir Putin did show up. There was no collusion. Well, I mean... Uh, I mean, it, it, it could be worse. You could find worse uh, Eastern European uh, tyrant, tyrannical dictators to show up, like the one that showed up at the UFC show. But let's let's put that aside for the second here. Um, our championship tables coming out of the Russian Grand Prix. We have five races to go, and Lewis Hamilton is at 306 points now with a 50-point lead over Sebastian Vettel. Um, by the way, the scenes on the podium as Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Botas look very ashamed of what they did. Uh, Hamilton tried to hand Botas the winner's trophy, and the, and the person that was feeling the most overjoyed about this, despite in the bin picture um, taking another hammer blow to his title hopes, Sebastian Vettel was just like, this is great. This is good entertainment, <laughs> man. I mean, if there's a way to lose a championship, you want it to be your other team being publicly shamed for their actions. <laughs> uh yeah that was uh that was good times um running down the rest of this finishing order quick uh we had 18 finishers none of the toro rosas finished both of them had a double dnf on the same lap um gasly had terminal brake failure and so did brendan hartley pierre gasly was also very lucky with the advancements of helmet technology because um a small piece of debris got Passed one of the open spaces on the halo and kind of just poked him, poked him right in the helmet, and then it just kind of settled into his lap, and he was just like, hey, "What's this shit? Get out of here!" Windscreen. Ah, uh, yes. I would say though that like 
is very we're, I think we're all going to be very lucky with that with not just you know when we find you know a head protection is never going to be a perfect thing but I'll tell you what the advancements they've been making in helmet technology it's fantastic yeah there, that, there isn't going to be a new FIA spec helmet ne coming next year there is a there is a wonderful um, and I know he's not affiliated with us but uh, Shea Bear F1 uh, part of the motorsport network, one of the one of the handful of people we respect that's part of the network, um, did a wonderful video about helmet evolution and you know the what to expect out of the 2019 helmet. It's gonna look nice, and and you know if it'll if it'll certainly you know it'll help uh, prevent drivers from taking smaller pieces of debris that you know, whereas the halo is prevent you is designed to prevent larger pieces from getting in the cockpit for the smaller ones got the Nomex helmet. It's pretty dope. 18 cars finished, and Sergei Sorokin was the last of them. That's not necessarily what I would call a good home race, is it? No. He wasn't rushing to get there. No. no in fact, it was just, uh, it looked like out there, he was just stalling. Yay. Mm, yeah, he was just, uh, he was just, uh, hang out like a, like a string of linen. His jokes won't end. <laughs> something, something, something. Yeah, we need five. to put this to an end right now. Oh, jeez. We're we're just reaching for the lowest hanging fruit. <laughs> so low. We're sorry, Andre. It's fine. Gotta um, get all the puns in before Dre comes back. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Personally, personally, fine. Oh man, people are already people are already revoking their un. Their <laughs> we love you all very much. Please don't leave. Um, should we actually get to talking about the fun races of the weekend? Yes, that's right. It's time for NXT Takeover Sochi. That would be the Formula Two and GP3 series. Um, I actually got to watch the feature race with my with my dad out in the ESPN app, which, by the way, you know, the only place to watch Formula Two live is on ESPN three, <laughs> because Sky Sports had the uh, the feature race on a thirty minute delay for another fucking rear of the F one show. Um, and if you watched it live, or if you watched it on that thirty minute delay, you were treated to a damn fine race where. Alexander Albon and Nicholas Latifi. Uh, I'm sorry, let me rephrase. Nissan factory driver <laughs> Alexander Albon and Nicholas Latifi led a Dams 1-2 finish in the feature race at Sochi, and that was huge uh, in the context of things for Alexander Albon's championship chances because there were effectively three drivers that were still in with a shot at the title. George Russell in the lead, Lando Norris entered in second, and Albon was in third, but he effectively needed to maximize his points, and boy did he he had a sterling race uh used the alternate strategy to his advantage um and he got a little bit of help from the other should have been player in this race <sighs> it's time to talk once again about professional fun haver artem markalov artem markalov started this race in 19th position do you want to guess um how many laps it took for him to get to the lead of the race? Ooh, what, where, where, where are we putting the over-under at? Um, mm, I, I, I don't know. I just want to throw out a number. Again, this is a 28-lap race. Five. <laughs> uh, Chris, where are you coming in? 
I'll say six. Chris was the closest without going over with seven. Seven laps for <laughs> Artem Markolov. And again, he had a little bit of help because Luca Giotto and Tadasuke Makino kind of got into a bit of a scuffle that could have ended in a massive pile-up going into the first corner. He had a little bit of help from that, but other than that, it was just pure Artem Markolov driving his way through the field like a crazy Russian bastard that he is. Oh, he's, he's not going to get a Formula 1 drive, and that's a shame because he's so much fun to watch. Um, he passed all the way up from 19th to 1st, and if Team Russian Time executed a strong pit stop, he could come out of the race with the lead ahead of Alexander Albon. It didn't exactly work like that. They had, oh, they had hashtag finger trouble, hashtag wheel gun trouble, and, the, and that pretty much put Markolov out of contention for any sort of podium, which was a real shame given how he drove that race. I mean, he still still came back to a... Well, no, it, it it didn't come back at all. He got caught up in a late wreck with Matzik Gunther just to add further insult to injury uh, to drop him down to 11th, which was hardly, you know, a just reward for the race that he drove. Um, but in the end, it's Alexander Albon taking a big step towards, uh, towards title contention, Nicholas Latifi, with, uh, with his first feature race podium of the year his two podiums prior to this had been the sprints at baku where he finished third and when he won the feature at spa first feature race podium for latifi to get himself up into the top 10 in points and nick devries rounding off the podium he was the pole winner but his pace kind of faded through and george russell finished in fourth on to the sprint race at way too damn early in the morning on sunday <laughs> um from reverse grid pole position at Look, yeah, it was uh, Nerei Fukuzumi didn't do much with that, and George Russell from fifth on the grid went on to win his sixth race of the season, his third sprint win of the year, and putting himself 37 points clear of Alexander Albon, who finished in third. Sergio Sette Camera finishing in second uh, to complete the podium. But one of the other big stories of the Jeep of the Formula Two weekend at Sochi was how quickly Lando Norris's title challenge completely came to shit. Oh, this was bad. This was very, very bad. Um, it started when he stalled in the, uh, in the Dagon pit lane in the feature race. Did it not? And he stalled on the grid, didn't get a good start, and, uh, yeah, then it just, the he failed to finish that race and then he failed to finish the sprint race as well damn it oh jeez, yeah it was uh yeah from the from lando doris's f2 diary um the opening sentence so guys this will be a short one there's not a huge amount to say and there's certainly no russia from love message here after what can only be subscribed to, summed up as a horrendous weekend on my sochi debut um on the sprint he was penalized for being out of position get a 10 second start to go um, he got a puncture and retired from that race, um, and he got wheel rim damaged, uh, caused by more finger trouble on his pit stop. So two retirements officially puts Lando Norris out of title contention. By the way, he is the only driver on this grid with a confirmed Formula One seat this year. How is George and, Russell feeling? And one driver is a confirmed seat, not in either Formula Two or Formula One next year. Yep. Again, 
Nissan factory driver Alexander Albon. We'll see you in a. We'll see you at the. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the Crown Jewel E Prix in December. <laughs> um, out of all that, yeah, I I was actually looking forward more to this race because you know historically, like Sochi and Formula Two, and I don't know what it is, and even with the new car, it's still good racing. Yeah, I know because... the cars are designed to race close, but damn, this is good. Yeah, the cars are designed to race close. The track was designed to facilitate overtaking. Facilitate overtaking. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's it's okay. It's okay. My flub reel is now at about a half hour. Don't worry about it. And that's just for this year. Um, so going into the final race of the Formula 2 um, season, that will be at Yas Marina. So yes, you gotta wait for a while. It's 37 points between George Russell and Alexander Albon. Um, either way, neither driver will be back in F2 next season. George Russell has a 37-point buffer. If he finishes fourth in the feature race at Abu Dhabi, he wins the championship no matter what Alexander Albon does. Um, if he takes the feature race pole position, which gets him four bonus points, and finishes sits during the feature race itself, that also gives him the title. And of course, there are also, in addition to the four bonus points for feature race pole, two points for fastest lap in either the feature race or sprint, uh, 25 points for winning the feature, 15 for winning the sprint. Um, it's it's looking like George Russell is uh, going to win the championship and going to get stuck in a very awkward situation of probably not having a ride unless, you know, Williams can kind of clear the decks for him and Esteban Ocon, which is not ideal. No, it's, it seems like it's going to be one or the other. <laughs> Oh, dear George Russell, I assure you, you'll look very good in Vantolin Team Tom's green and white. <laughs> love, RJ. To the GP3 series, which does not get enough love, um, Leonardo Polsini uh, picked up his first win of the season. He got it from pole position. Um, Nikita Mazepin qualified on pole for the feature race, but was penalized for leaving the circuit limits and gaining an advantage. Um, Mazepin still had the fastest lap of the feature race, but was forced to finish second as Leonardo Pulcini pulled off his first win of the season, moving him up to fourth place in the championship. Um, and of course, David Beckman is having a golly, ever since he's gone to Trident, he has been on a damn He's been on a damn roll lately. This is his third win in the sprint race in the last six races. He won the feature at Spy, won the feature at Monza. Um, he's had two top fives in between. That's vaulted him up to fifth in the championship. Yeah, like, seriously, what happened to that Trident? Like, <laughs> And it's even more amazing when you think about how awesome Trident is. They're basically the only thing standing up to ART basically running the table in yeah. GP3. And when you look at them in Formula 2, they are just the most dysfunctional team. You know, after we've... Well, Britain was very well documented. Yeah, as we, well we, as event, we all know event, what went down. As well as Austria, France, other events. And then you contrast with that with their GP3 team, and you're just like, damn, they're kicking ass. And they got two suit second-generation drivers now. That's great. Um, also, Tatiana Calderon... Two points finishes on the weekend for you, girl. 
There we go. That's how we do it. Antoine Hubert picked up uh, a third and a fourth. He now extends his championship lead to 32 points. Uh, Nikita Mazepin had a costly retirement in the sprint race in Callum Islet. Did not finish in the points in either race at Sochi, which has left him out of the points. Kind of a running theme in Sochi. British hopefuls falling out of title contention. Um, so once again, it's 32 points from Hubert to Mazepin. The final race is at Yaz Marina Circuit. Why do we have to wait so long? Why can't they just come to Coda? Yeah, come to Coda. <laughs> or go to Formula Japan. Two. Or Brazil. <laughs> Bring Formula 2 to Coda. You the have Indy Lights next fun. year? Is that at least a little bit of a oh, reprieve? Yeah. Oh, yes, we do. Yes. It is, you know, it is, I'll tell you, Indy Lights is, it's never a bad show. Um, so that pretty much sums up the, uh, the Coda weekend, but we have, uh, we have more stuff that happened over the weekend. So after we take this quick musical interlude, we'll be back with the latest news. As a can of Coke magically appears in my right hand so I can quench my thirst, we go into the news, and this was a busy weekend for driver transactions. Um, we'll start with perhaps, we'll, I guess we'll start in chronological order, sort of. Um, we're going to go through the, uh, through the date. We have a return. We have two drivers. We have a return after a year layoff. We have a return that's kind of a debut, but it's not a debut because we've seen him race before. Let's start with Antonio Giovinazzi signing with Alfa Romeo's Sauber F1 team for the 2019 season. Holy shit. Kimi Räikkönen and Antonio Giovinazzi on the Sauber team together in 2019. Could you have imagined this this time last year? Nope. <laughs> I'm genuinely oh. hyped for, Cyber, for Sauber for next year. Uh, if they can come up with a halfway decent car... I would love to see them challenging for podiums because Giovinazzi, I believe, has had been forgotten. Um, and I think we're going to see a great, great result from them next year if they can just get it all together. Excellent. So in case um, some of you might not have remembered, Antonio Giovinazzi um, is an Italian driver. He'll be the first full-time Italian racer since both Jarno Trulli and Tony Alianzi exited at the end of 2011. His his story is very interesting because his career doesn't in single seaters doesn't start in Europe, it starts in China. It starts in China and then uh, and then travels to the Formula Three European Championship where he has kind of a difficult first season. He gets better towards the end of 2014, his second season, and then in 2015 he finishes second in the championship to a driver we'll discuss later on in this segment. So out of all of that, you know, Antonio's a driver who we're not sure what his next move is going to be. A lot of his funding comes from the Galeo family. That would be Ricardo and his son, and his son Sean. You might have heard of him. He races in Formula 2, I think. Um, Giovinazzi did not have any plans to step up to what was then the GP2 series until Ricardo Galeo saw that his son's best friend kind of needed some money to step up. So he's just like, okay, we'll sponsor him. 
And as it turns out, that was a very smart investment when uh, Giovinazzi swept the Baku weekend in 2016 and then went on to win five races in total and finished second in the championship to Pierre Gasly, who was already set to drive for Red Bull Racing in 2019. That leads to him getting snatched up by Ferrari as their third driver. He's drafted in to replace Pascal Verlein for the first two races in 2017. Had a great Australian Grand Prix weekend, all things considered. Started 16th, finished 12th in a car he had little experience with. Uh, the second time out wasn't so great. He pretty much crashed in every second session, including the race. And people kind of felt like, well, that's kind of it for Antonio. But no, no. Alpha Sauber, Salfa Bermeo are bringing him back. Bringing him back with Lamont experience. Remember, he was fifth in class in GT Pro with AF Corsa this past season. Um, he's also raced, D he's also had runoffs in DTM, in LP2 cars. Antonio is pretty, pretty legit, my dudes. Yeah, it's, it's that is an interesting pairing. Uh, I don't know, to me, Sauber is trying to prove that they're not just going to be a Ferrari feeder team, that they're trying to make their own identity as as a team in Formula One. And that's good. And, you know, you know, when about this time, maybe one or two years ago, we were worried about Sauber's long-term survival. And, yes, it is uh, it is made possible by the fact that, uh, that uh, the Fiat Chrysler Group are backing up a huge dump truck of money into sponsoring the team, but man, this is good. This is very, very good. We're <laughs> we're likely to see uh, the most competitive Sauber team, I think, since the 2012 season, where Sergio Perez nearly took two wins, and Kamui Kobayashi probably couldn't have one himself. You know, that's that's a great thing for Formula One. And another great young talent getting a chance to shine on a full-time stage. It's going to be tough for Antonio, but I, I feel like he definitely has the talent. Now, you're wondering, where does this put Marcus Erickson? He will still remain with the team as a third driver and Alfa Romeo brand ambassador for 2019. I, I do feel like Erickson, you know, we talk about him as he is the Erickson line. He is basically Formula One's equivalent of the Mendoza line. And he's been good this year. He's been genuinely good by his own standards. Um, showing much better than he did at the very start of his career. Um, I feel like if Erickson wants to race somewhere else and in a competitive seat, he'd be very good. I don't think Formula One was the right fit for him, but Erickson, I feel, is still a class act and pretty great driver. And, you know, I think he'd do all right somewhere else. I'm to IndyCar, Marcus. I'm not opposed to it. Definitely. We could we could have more than one super suite on the grid. Foreshadowing, folks. Oh yes, and in between uh in between this and the Nets move we'll talk about, um, Haas held on to Romain Grosjean and Kevin Madison. It's the third year them together starting in twenty nineteen. Um, are you surprised that they held on to both Madison and Grosjean? No, not surprised. I feel like people were kind of surprised given how Grosjean started the year, um, which a lot of that wasn't his fault. Baku will just leave that to the side. It's fine. Um, but, you know, they, they have continuity. They have a good package. Um, 
I, I think they'll be in fine shape. You know, they're they're not in any rush to make any moves, and you know, especially with Leclerc going to Ferrari, g- getting the rocket ship up. Obviously, Giovinazzi is going to Sauber. A lot of their other options are off the table. We'll talk about it as well, but Esteban Ocon could have things a lot simpler, you know, as as uh, Toro Rosso had offered him a seat under one condition if he cut all of his Mercedes ties. And this also, and this brings up the downside of junior driver programs. Like, yes, it's awesome that at least on the surface you're seeing big Formula One factory teams reward drivers based on merit rather than just you know paying for the best seat. You know that is pretty awesome. But, you know, that also binds young drivers to deals that could hamstring their Formula One future way more than it should. Yeah, because the issue when you have more junior drivers and drivers than seats. (sighs) Yes. And um, it's been talked about for weeks, but the deal was finally done and it happened at home. Guys, the Russian rocket is back. Danny Kvyat, in his fifth, I want to say it's either his fourth or his fifth tour of duty with Scuderia Toro Rosso. He was out for a year, but he is back now with Toro Rosso, effective in 2019. And uh, I don't think, I don't know how to feel about this. I'll I'll let you, um, I'll let Chris, I'll start with you. Because maybe you've watched Danny Kvyat race um how do you feel about toro rosso danny kvyat in 2019 specifically danny kvyat and toro rosso again i don't know it, it it's uh, as yogi Berra famously said it's like deja vu all over again um I, you know same old song and dance we've already seen him before i mean sure he gets another shot at it but at the same time we're more than likely gonna see do they confirm does this mean Brendan Hartley's officially out? Oh no, no, they no. still do not know what the second seat was, and uh, Brendan Hartley may not have got much help with that terminal brake failure at a time where Doctor Helmut Marco said you need to put results up or you will not hold on to your seat. Again, there are a lot of interesting candidates. Pascal Verline is a name that has come up, especially now that he is free of all of his Mercedes obligations, effective at the end of 2019. Well, I can't put results up if you don't give me a car that'll last. Yeah. Well, this is Red Bull, and they don't care because, <laughs> like, Daniel Kvyat has been—he's been demoted for far less. So what I what I will say is this though: if they um, figure out a way to pr- promote Kvyat and re- um, take Kvyat down several times during the year, we'll see Max Verstappen win a lot more races because didn't he always win races just after Daniel Kvyat loses his drive? Yeah, yeah. Yep. It, it, there was like a streak of it going on where basically, you know, anytime Danny Kvyat either got dropped to Toro Rosso or dropped from Toro Rosso, Max Verstappen would win the following race. Um, it's easy to forget because, you know, people unfairly, I would say mostly unfairly, made Danny Kvyat out to the whipping boy after he got dropped from, from Red Bull to Toro Rosso. But again, I want to remind you that when he first came to Formula One, again, he was not the first choice for Toro Rosso's empty seat in 2014. Um, but he made a hell of a championship push in the second half of the 2013 GP3 series to basically 
wrestle that seat out of the hands of Antonio Felix Sacasa, who had basically been earmarked for whenever Ricardo Avern got promoted up. That was going to be his seat for the better part of a year. Kvyat was just like, no, I've got this. And he did that by showing racecraft and maturity well beyond his years. He gave John Eric Verne, now a Formula E champion, a dominant one at that, and pretty soon a dominant sports car champion if you watch, if you kept track of him and his progress in LMP2. You know, John Eric Verne is a very quality driver, and Danny Kvyat, as a as mostly a teenager in his rookie season, gave him more than a fair enough fight. And then when he got called up to Red Bull, um, he outscored Daniel Ricardo. I know it was just by a little bit. I know typically weekend to weekend, Ricardo was the quicker driver, but that that still counts for something. Yeah. And I feel like if, you know, if Danny Kvyat had a com- competitive car that could win races that year, you would be looking at Russia's first Grand Prix race winner. And, uh, you know, it's it really is a shame that it hasn't worked out. I think the concern for a lot of us is that this is a situation that he's been in before, and he wasn't in the right head headspace, you know, back in 2016, 2017. And he'll be the first to tell you that. He's even said he's in a much better space now than he was back then. But I look at it from perspective, and, you know, I'm not Danny Kvyat, so I don't know if I'm, so I don't know what I'm feeling, but I'm, if I was him, I'd kind of be feeling like, you know, I'm just here until you bring in the guy you want. Because even after they brought him in, there's Helmut Marco talking about, like, well, we'd like to have Esteban Ocon, or we'd like to have Pascal Verlein. I'm like, you just sign me, dude. First, we know that their top prospect is uh, is going to be, um, at this rate, 15 points short of an FIA super license. Yeah. That would be Daniel Tictum. Um, uh, so it's, I don't know how to feel. I would love to see Danny Kvyat just absolutely tear shit up on his return to Red, to Toro Rosso. I think that would be awesome. If he's, if he's back in the right hat space, because I've seen him at his best. I feel like he is a top quality driver who just was not in the right place, um, you know, with his equipment and mostly, you know, inside his own psyche. I just don't know if this is going to work out. I just don't know. I would love to, but I'm not optimistic. Like, to me, it feels like he needs to treat this like this is an, an audition for potentially a seat at another team. Because this is not going to be, this is not a permanent situation. He's not going to be able to be at Tarasso for like the next, you know, three, four years. No, I feel like if super license points were not a requirement, they would have had damn ticked him right up in the seat or hell. You know, if they were even looking at the guy that he's fighting for the Formula 3 title, that's Mick Schumacher. Never forget that Mick Schumacher would qualify for an FIA super license, even if he tanked the final weekend of the European (laughs) F3 season. Which, by the way, is at Hockenheim. Yep, home race. (laughs) Oh man! Oh, that's that's gonna be so lit, man. It's uh. Did we ever talk about the spat where basically Tictum said that oh Schumacher's driving a trick car? That's the only oh reason why I'm throwing away this title lead. Yeah. I'm just like, I know it's Dan, but I also feel like you know I I feel like you know why aren't British tabloids just snapping up at the opportunity to accuse another Schumacher of cheating? 
because it's ridiculous to imply that uh, Mick Schumacher's Prima is a trick car when Prima Prima are pretty much going to be the only team ever to win the Formula 3 European Team Championship. Yeah, seven in a row, undefeated. That is that is something. And, you know, that's also a testament to how Mick Schumacher has turned the middle of his 2018. I don't know what it was. I don't know what they found in the setups. I don't know if it was just like once he won that first race, all of a sudden the piano just came off of his back. But it's been beautiful to watch. Yeah, but it's going to be interesting. People are hitting that he that Mick will probably be in Formula 2 next year. If not, he'll most likely be in the new International Formula 3, the merger between the European Championship and GP3. I think he's ready for Formula 2. Yeah, he's definitely ready for Formula 2. Maybe get him a Super Formula cameo, just like his father. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I also want to point out in Japan, um, you know, just to take things off chanchet, um, Shosu Boy had four races this weekend where he could have won the title. Um, he clinched it in just one of them, and then he just won the other three just for fun. He's now won 15 <laughs> of the last 17 races this year. That's now 24 out of the last 28 going back to the middle of the 2017 season, when he won his very first Formula 3 race. For all of this, Shosu Boy were on a grand total of 17 FIA Super License points. Because... Gotta go to Europe. <laughs> Gotta go to Europe. Regional Formula 3. But he might also win a top flight seat when this next gentleman moves on from his current job. It's been in the works for a couple of years. He's tested well... For a team that really likes winners in both 2016 and 2017 and we were all thinking that maybe one day he might soon grace the field in the indianapolis 500 or the grand prix of long beach because we know he would be really awesome at it and he's won in pretty much everything he's ever driven but now this week it's official driver for hire is now driver that is hired welcome felix rosenquist to the IndyCar series starting in 2019, driving the number 10 NTT Data Dallara Honda for Chip Ganassi Racing. It's happened. It's it's happened. I'm so glad that this deal is finally done and announced because we've been hearing that this that he had signed for months and months, but no announcement ever came. A couple oh. years ago, I wrote that Felix Rosenquist was the most talented European to come over and race in America full-time since Nigel Mansell, and I absolutely stand by that today. Um, Rosenquist, he's won you know everything he needs to. He's won Macau twice, almost won it three years in a row. He's won the Masters of Formula 3 twice, European FIA Formula 3 champion. And quite frankly, it's a crime against motorsports that he never got a chance at an F2 drive or a Formula 1 drive. And... This is going to raise the profile of IndyCar in Europe quite a bit, and it raises the level of all the IndyCar, the rest of the IndyCar field, that much more. When Chip Ganassi's team is hyped up on a driver like they were with Felix Rosenquist, Scott Dixon better look out because I think he's going to be in a lot of trouble for 2019 with a teammate like this. And unlike Formula One, you're not going to see the kind of team orders you see over there. No. Oh my God. So. Let's run down everything that Felix Rosenquist has done. You know, he had a very 
he kind of stagnated Formula 3 for a while, whether it was just from a lack of funds or what, but he stuck around in the European yeah, F3 there was, Championship. There was for, a time where uh, Felix Rosenquist was seen as the old man of European F3, that he was just going to be there forever. Yeah, he won He won a total of, uh, since the start of the current, he won 28 races over a span of four seasons from 2012 to 2015. He was second in 2013 and finally won the title in 2015 in his fourth season. Uh, then, yeah. uh, I should note, uh, the current regulation that says that drivers can only be in European Formula 3 uh, for three years was for, briefly for a period of time. Then it got killed off immediately. Uh, it was called the Rosenquist rule to avoid people like Felix Rosenquist staying for such a long period of time because people thought Rosenquist only got good because of experience. But we quickly yes. learned otherwise. Yeah, basically, you know, he's, you know, basically people were ready to write him off as the Julian Palmer of Formula 3. And then he stepped out. He stepped up and he stepped out uh, to the Indy Light Series. Chris, did you get a chance to watch him while he was in Indy Lights for the 10 races that oh, he Oh, I was drove? actually there at his debut in St. Petersburg. And what was remarkable about that, uh, I'm not sure if y'all know this. So the first race of the year, I think he sat on pole. He was on the front row. And on I remember and this. on the way, you know, from the pit lane to doing the formation laps, he accidentally hit the switch in his car to put his car into rain mode. <laughs> I remember this. He yeah. only had seventy percent of his engine power and he still finished in seventh place. And this is in yeah. a field of like fourteen or fifteen cars. The next race, I think he actually won, and that was when he was with Barty Auto Racing with um, Young Fireball, Zach Veach, as his teammate, who would have won the first race had his ECU not decided to just pack it in. Right, yeah. I remember that. And then uh, he took he took some time off, you know, because of other commitments that he had. This was when we started to see Felix Rosenquist as the driver for hire. But he's able to show up for the Toronto race weekend, wins both races from pole, never drives another Indy Lights race again. But then he does test for Ganassi in 2016 and 2017. The only thing is, he has other commitments. Again, let's just run down a list of the series that Felix Rosenquist has wanted. He's won three times in Indy Lights, once in Blancpain GT. Um, he has won a round of the Intercontinental GT Challenge. He has raced in DTM. He has raced in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. He has raced in the 24 Hours of Le Mans. He's won three times in Porsche Carrera Cup Scandinavia. He has, has won multiple races in Formula E. He helped turn a struggling Sunoco Team Le Mans into a regular championship contender in Super Formula. And now he races in Super GT um, with Let's Basically, Rosenquist is Rosenquick. He is the kind of driver that, you know, when when you think of, like, the era of drivers who could race, show up in anything, race in anything, you know, the people that are just like, I miss those days. I miss drivers like that. Felix Rosenquist is that dude. And maybe he'll be doing a little bit less of it now that he has a full-time IndyCar drive, but man, this dude is fun. I could say, I could say in all certainty that if you, that... As great as Robert Wickens was as his debut season, Felix Rosenquist, in my mind, has the potential to be even better. I'll even I'll even go so far to say he'll be a championship contender from his first year in the series. Yeah, because he's you know a driver of his caliber in 
a team of that caliber, pretty much there is limitless potential. Like, he could probably be a 500 contender going in. He could probably be a title contender going in. Anything could happen. Yeah, and really the only thing he struggled at in his time, brief time in Native Lights was on ovals, but now he's with Chip, and Chip can help turn that deficiency around in a hurry. Think about this. Um, Think of the rookie class for next year in IndyCar. Pato Award, the Indy Lights champion. Colton Herta, your second place driver in Indy Lights. Felix Rosenquist, the, you know, we, we don't need to do another instruction on him. Possibly Fernando Alonso, possibly Stoffel Van Dorn. Do we, what else could you possibly want here, folks? I, yeah. I think if you even remove the two possible drivers, that rookie class, you could sell a lot with that rookie class. Yeah, you have you have two incredible young drivers who are still in their teens, and you have possibly one of the most accomplished young race and versatile racing drivers on the market. You have one of the best rookie classes in a long time, and that's before you even add Fred. Like, like if you really, don't even add Fred, I I think like to me, in terms of driver recruitment, and it it feels like. A lot of you could draw a lot of comparisons between IndyCar and MLS, where you have that young crop of young home, you know, homegrown drivers. You also have the the unseen stars in Europe, and you also get the the stars that kind of you know sort of lost their way in Europe coming over, and you get this really nice, diverse, very interesting driver uh, driver lineup that you get in IndyCar. I'm surprised that people had takes that were just like, why are people saying, why did Chip Ganassi sign this dude? And I think that's just like <laughs> indicative of like, oh yeah, we kind of don't realize that, you know, we know how good he is, but other people are just like, who the hell is this guy? Who the hell is this freeze? Felix how much money is he bringing? Well, none. Chip's actually paying him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think one of the problems that he had not getting to F1 was that he didn't bring enough money. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's been a factory racing driver for about... Uh, he's been a factory racing driver for now about two years with Toyota. And also, I do want to say, oh, let's pour one out for Ed Jones because I think Ed Jones is a great talent. I think that I, yeah. you know he should be in a full-time seat next year. Hopefully, if Carlin expands to three cars, like rumor has it that they are going to, that Ed can... Uh, Head back over there for next year. He knows the team. He knows the organization. Why not? Yeah, why not? Carlin would be a great, great fit. Um, we also have as well, we recently saw the Indy Car Series schedule announced, and now we have the Indy Lights schedule announced for 2019. Yeah, the entire Road to Indy actually uh, put their schedule out recently. And, um, hang on, let me pull the schedule up right here. Um. Yeah, it's, some of it's the same, but there are, along with the IndyCar series schedule, uh, adding a couple of key additions, so too does the Road to Indy add a few key races. Yeah, so we're looking at the streets of St. Petersburg for all three championships, and then, curiously enough, all three championships are not going to be heading to Circuit of the Americas in Austin, it's just going to be Indy Lights. Um, all three championships are going to head to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course again in early May. 
Promaz in, in, in USA 2000. I'm going to race at Lucas Oil Raceway uh, on carve night or well, carve day in the evening. During the day, Indy Lights are going to have the Freedom 100. Then you're going to see the Mulgoda Road America and Toronto as well. And also Mid-Ohio for all three championships. Uh, let's see. After that, Indy Lights and Pro Mazda will be at Gateway Motorsports Park in late August. The week after that, uh, all three championships are going to be in Portland. And then to finish off the season, they're going to race with IndyCar on that same weekend at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. But no Barber Motorsports Park. That's the other big thing that's... Uh, yeah, it's it's a shame. I wish they were able to do that because it's such a, a, such a nice, challenging track. But I'm, conf I'm, I'm actually extremely confident that the only reason why they're not there is because of money. That's the reason why Indy Lights isn't at Long Beach is because I think the sanctioning fee for them was way too high. But I know full well that Dan Anderson will want to be there. The teams want to be there. And, you know, race fans want to see them go there as well. But... You know, sometimes it has to make sense in order for you to spend the dollars. That is, uh, that is perfectly, perfectly fair as well. Um, I we uh we had some uh, interesting developments uh, over the weekend, um, maybe over the last week. But we we mentioned we would talk about this, um, and I want to bring up the uh, the touringcars.net article. That says yeah. Originally, it was posted in our Discord server by Jason Poland. Yeah. Um. So Fight Club is back. Fight Club is back. <laughs> Fight Club is back. Dusan Borkovich um, went to the Autodisc rating racing by THS Garage to protest with Benjamin Lassen. Uh, who was taken to hospital as a precaution after a separate incident when the two came together at the first chicane on the opening lap at, I want to say this was, was this Hungary? No, this was, this was in Portugal. Yes. I just was like, which Portugal was it? Was it Algarve or was it Esril? Um... Whilst Borkovic was remonstrating with the team, it is understand that, um... Mikel Ascona went over to query about a separate incident between himself and Borkovich, at which point tensions flares and Borkovich was filmed punching and connecting with, as filmed by Touring Car Times, Ascona's uncle. It's a very short clip, but oh my god, he puts all of his force behind that. Yeah, I think we need to mention that this man is 6'10". <laughs> this man... This man is a six foot ten touring car driver. <laughs> like again, at, like the outro last week, I did not know they made touring car drivers that big. I was just thinking, like, I thought you meant big. Like, this is like, you know, this dude is like Jimmy Spencer at his peak years. Uh, no, no, this, this is like he could be a power forward in the NBA pick. It's like, yo, who put Randy Johnson in a goddamn TCR car? Let's let's watch this again. Like, I thought he was just standing on the hood of his car. He rears back and just punches with all of his force. Like, holy shit. Like, he could have seriously injured that man. Like, oh, damn. Don't, don't pick a fight with someone that's 6'10". I'm sorry. 
don't pick a fight with somebody that sits ten at a race. Where's track. Jim Ross when you need him? <laughs> I know, right? Where is uh, where is Mike Goldberg and Joe Rogan flipping out, or at least Tommy Tollhold doing his impersonation of Goldie and Rogan? At least. Oh man, that that just connected so well. Um. Yes, out of all this, Borkovich faces the prospect of having his racing license suspended for at least six months, while the incident is also likely to be investigated by the Italian police after its conas <laughs> include recordedly suffered from a broken nose. Oh, damn. Oh, those Italian courts always want to get involved in race car stuff. Oh, yeah, that was that was in Monza. Oh, yeah, and how how could I have forgotten that we need more Renal on this? <laughs> Mamma uh, mia. <laughs> Mamma mia. <laughs> Borkovitz connecting like the iOS 12 update. Since we're talking about uh, high tensions, uh, can we mention the late model stock race at Martinsville this past weekend? Oh, yes, because that ties into our next big story. So, uh, if you thought that the Roval was going to be the biggest... Um, example of um, what the hell in NASCAR you were wrong uh, NASCAR ran in a late model stock race at Martinsville Virginia CE Falk was the winner I forget who was second third or whatever but um, apparently there was a couple of late race cautions a green white a few green white checkered attempts uh, Bubba Pollard was taken out by another driver and uh, he went to go try and talk to that driver security was in the way trying to stop him and they ended up ejecting him from the track. The other driver that took him out ended up uh, getting pelted with water bottles on pit lane by angry spectators. And here's where it gets interesting. Apparently some of the uh, officials thought that some teams were cheating and made them change their engines in the middle of the weekend, so they had no problem changing those rules. However, when it came to uh, scoring late in the going, the second place driver, who was C.E. Falk, jumped the restart a little bit and got to the line ahead of the guy who was in the lead on the final green-white checkered attempt. Someone in fourth or fifth place decided to just go ahead and send it, took out one of the guys in third place, I think it was, fourth place, whatever. The video was grainy. My apologies. And so C.E. Falk was scored as the leader of the race because he led the green flat, the he led the race when they went back to green even though the driver who was in second place and I forget his name was actually ahead of him on the back straightaway oh, so that led to an interesting press conference where apparently the um, one of the head guys for the series was asked if you can change engine rules in the middle of a week why can't you change the rule about using video instead of using where the um when the cars crossed the start finish line, and I think at that point he just walked out. Oh my god! And that's just going off of what I saw on Twitter, and I wish I was there in Martinsville. Um, I wish I was there. That that was apparently a lot of people were upset. Um, they didn't know British race control didn't know what to do. Um, it it was a, it was a night. <laughs> it was most certainly a night. Yeah, give it a solid three. Uh, it was at least uh, three-fifths of a Bowman Gray Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, if you ever have a chance to go see your local short tracks um, in action on a Friday or Saturday night, do so. You more than likely won't be disappointed. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Um, now let's get to the main event of the evening. Um, when this event was first announced, um, could we could we kind of say that the Bank of America, uh, the fall race at Charlotte Motor Speedway for the Cup Series was kind of just going to be like, eh, they just put it on the road course. I mean, they didn't move it to Montreal or Road America or anything like that. It's just kind of like, you know, it's just there. Just there because NASCAR wanted a road race but didn't want to take a, a, a race away from any existing venues. And then the race weekend itself played out. Uh, testing played out. Everybody had trouble with every facet of the Charlotte Roval from uh, from Heartburn Turn brought to you by Lowe's to the, uh, the tire chicane on the backstretch. <laughs> Uh, to the final chicane, which will come up uh, later on in our discussion. Uh, two things, two wonderfully disastrous things happened during this race. Um, firstly, Brad Kozlowski's controller got disconnected and everybody forgot how to drive. Mm, I mean... Physics, how do they work? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, tires, they wear, right? Tires wear, and when you lock up your brakes going into a turn with very little to no runoff, you kind of you kind of attract followers, very prolific followers in back, and it was very entertaining to see NASCAR champions Brad Keselowski and Kyle Busch and multi-time race winner Kyle Larson and single-time race winner Paul Menard and top prospect William Byron all piling into the first corner like it's the like it's a public lobby race in Forza Horizon 4 <laughs> available now on uh, on Xbox 1 and PC guaranteed to be just as fun as #bofaroval <laughs> That's the best thing. The Bank of America's abbreviates to BOFA. <laughs> this right after the the Federated Auto Parts 400 with its ill-fated hashtag using the acronym for Federated Auto Parts. <laughs> hashtag FAT400. So after that pile up, we thought we had seen the most ridiculous shit that we had ever seen until the final lap of the Bank of America Roval 400. Martin Truex Jr. is looking like he is cruising out to a crucial win that will seal his place into the round of 12. But then Jimmy Johnson arrives. Jimmy Johnson has not won a race all season, but he is also desperate to get to the round of 12 so he can tend for his eighth title. But did we mention the fact that he hasn't won a race this season, and if he finishes this year without a win, it'll be the first time in his full-time cup career that he hasn't won a race in a season? So Jimmy Johnson decides to do well. Well, well, we we need, also need to mention what what Truex has on the line because we need to mention who is the pace car driver for this event. Oh yes, that's right, Sherry Pollitz. Yes, his longtime partner who has been, you know. Uh, battling ovarian cancer, and like they had this really heartfelt moment at the start of the race where, where Truex Jr. just pulls up alongside her, and then at into turn one, he he goes behind the pace car and just gives a little tap. <laughs> That's wholesome. That is absolutely wholesome material right there. Um, so out of all that, Martin Truex Jr. is trying to win this race, and so too is Jimmy Johnson, and they go 
for uh, for a space of real estate that might be wide enough for both of them. And then, as Jimmy Johnson sends it around the outside so we can take the inside line coming out of the last corner, wheel hop. It happens. <laughs> it happens. And, it's, it, and sometimes it sends your car for a spin. And sometimes it spins your car for a spin with enough force that it can cause the other car to spin right around. Johnson spins the back of his car, clips Truett's as he's going through the chicanes, and now Truett's is spun, and Johnson is spun, and he's come to a stop, and out of nowhere, there's Ryan Blaney to win the race. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) I saw this, and first thing, I was just like, yo, that's, that's dumb as hell, but that was also awesome as hell. And, uh, you know, as as someone who feels like Rick Allen is not that bad on commentary, he he just made a meal out of that final quarter. It's just like, coming through at the, the final the banked curve at the, the, the Charlotte <laughs> Roval. Like, buddy, you, sh- you should have just let, just lay out and let, let Junior handle it. He's got it. Um, so out of all of that... Um, Ryan Blaney wins the race, and that uh, that botched pass was important because if Jimmy Johnson had just held position, he would have advanced into the round of 12. Because he spins, he drops enough positions, and all of a sudden, Kyle Larson, who, by the way, is driving around with a car that is clearly ill-equipped to, win the, to even finish a race, comes around and passes one more car at the very, very end. That would be Jeffrey Earnhardt, who has completely battered the hell out of his car, and he passes him at the final corner. Kyle Larson advances. Jimmy Johnson does not. Oh, and there was some controversy because um, apparently uh, Jeffrey Earnhardt's car had the ability to, to move, despite... You know, video footage showing his car not moving for the entire duration of Kyle Larson going out of turn four through the chicane and then across the finish line. I don't even think that makes any sense. They're with two different manufacturers. Uh, Post-race, Jeffrey Earnhardt said that he did not want to get involved in the title picture, so he let Larson pass him. Oh yeah, Henry points out, you know, he had a he broke an oil line. Jeez, yeah, that's huh. All of but this thing was is, silly. The thing is, uh yeah, he broke an oil line, but he was still able to move his car after uh Larson had crossed the finish line. <sighs> Gosh, and out of all of that, Jimmy Johnson and Austin Dillon and Denny Hamlin and Eric Jones are out of the NASCAR playoffs. And this will probably be the last time we talk about this until Miami itself, unless something even dumber happens. (laughs) And that's the thing out of all this, as much of a spectacle and a gimmick and crazy as it was, uh, Johnson said, you know, this race encapsulates why I've kind of checked out of NASCAR. And, you know, that's entirely fair. But the thing is like, that shit was good. That shit was fun. It got a 10% ratings increase from last year. That's a first I mean, real ratings bump. There, there, there was just some, had. like, just like dumpster fire curiosity about how the Roval would play out, but also, like, the race was good. I would say that maybe we should move more events to 
you know, Roval configurations. Like, let's have the Firecracker 400 on the Daytona Roval, you know, side of the Rolex 24 at the Daytona Roval. Um, you know, the United States Grand Prix was held on a Roval very recently at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And of course, how could we get the most fabled and historic Roval of all? Monza. That's right. Monza <laughs> is a Roval. <laughs> I am here for this. Monza is a roval i have just i hope i hope i hope only the best people are so angered by the statement that i've just put out monza is a roval please come to my mentions at harrison 101 hd (laughs) (laughs) i'm kidding dre dre no put the shoe down um, out of all this dumpster fireness, it's important to know that you know sometimes motorsport can give us wonderful things, and I, and I thank uh, I thank Charles for reminding me of this as well. Um, in the NASCAR K and West Series at Meridian Speedway in Idaho, Hallie Deegan, uh, second generation uh, driver, her father Brian was of course a freestyle motocross legend who later turned his sights to rallycross, and now Hallie. Is following in her father's footsteps as a uh, as a racing driver herself, picks up her first win, becoming the first woman to win a race on either of NASCAR's two regional touring circuits, which is really fantastic. And in a time where women in motorsport are doing really awesome stuff, I want to give a shout out as well to Flick High, who along with Johnny Adam won the British GT GT3 Championship in the most recent round at Donington Park, which is awesome. Charlie Martin, former hill climb driver, got to test a Jaguar E-Pace Cupsar, so we there's a chance we might be seeing her on a on a Formula E support race as well. And of course, on Bike Live, we'll most likely be mentioning the fact that Ana Carrasco won the World Supersport 300cc Championship this year, becoming the first woman to win a motorcycle world championship title of any kind. And I think. I think that's all pretty awesome. And no matter which way you look at it, I think it's awesome that we're that we are starting to see women in motorsport do some really awesome stuff. Not like they ever stopped doing it before, or if they if it just start or not like it just started or not like it ever stopped. So congratulations, Hallie, and congratulations as well to Flick and to Charlie and to Anna, who we'll talk about more in detail on Bike Live. <sighs> Also, I we need to circle back to some Roval news. Oh yes. Oh. Well. Uh, just a correction. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Earnhardt had tweeted out that his like there was no way for his car to run. I like. Mm, I'll I'll take it at face value. I don't know if it's him just trying to deflect away from what had happened. But yeah, if his car wasn't able to run, it wasn't able to run. Also. Uh, Marcus Smith, president and CEO of SMI. Uh, you know. The, the corporation that owns uh, Charlotte and various other ovals around the around the country have said that they're not going to export the Roval idea to their other venues, which is a shame. You know, if Sonoma can bring back the carousel, maybe yep. Watkins Glen can bring back the boot. Dear Watkins Glen, bring back the boot. So yes, as as RJ just said, SMI are bringing back the carousel to the NASCAR circuit, which. Uh, which they did not use for, like, the longest period of time. But, you know, it's commonplace for IndyCar to run that layout, and I'm pretty sure 
most people are more familiar with the carousel layout rather than the the shortcutted one for NASCAR. Oh yes. Um, weekend ahead. We don't have much, but what we do have is a night where if you are in the United States, you are staying up late. If you are in Europe, you are either staying up really late or getting up really early. Because, of course, we have the Formula One Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka. Uh, but it's also Bathurst Day. It's Bathurst Weekend, which will soon lead into Bathurst Day. Because the 1,000 is happening. Um, so this is also the apex of the Craig Lowndes Appreciate Tripulation Tour. But, you know, we're all kind of expecting, you know, either Shane Van Gisbergen or Scott McLaughlin to win the race. If you have a Motor Trend on-demand subscription, um, this would be pretty much the only time you'd get any use out of it. Or, you know, you could just get a two-week free trial. It's probably what you should do if you don't have it already. Yeah. Um, expectations for Suzuka. Valtteri's going to finish behind Hamilton again. <laughs> Pierre Gasly is going to get a podium for Honda. Mm, I don't even know how to, to respond to that. Hold out hope. It's, it wouldn't happen. I was just saying that because I played it out in F1 2018. But man, that would be so much fun if it did. Man, do, do, part of me wants to believe that Sebastian Vettel is going to get a win, but it's not going to happen. Um, predictions for Bathurst and how Jamie Wincup bottles it this time? <laughs> well, because we've said it, we know that Wincup is going to close out. Yeah, Wincup's going to win. He's going to win. Speaking of a seven-time champion that is down on his luck in recent times, uh, this is also, you know, this is also, you know, the last race for the Ford Falcon, last race for the Nissan Altima, Greg Lowndes' last race as a full-time Cup uh, Supercars driver. Um, Earl Bamber will be there. The two Davidson brothers who are actually good will be there. Simona Di Silvestro will be there. Johan Christofferson will not be there, but he dominated World Rallycross this year and won a second title. Um, you should probably watch. You should probably watch Bathurst. I, I'll tell you, you should like. This will be your double screen weekend. Goodness, nine out of ten World Rallycross races this year for Johan Christofferson. That is insane. Yeah, that's crazy. That is that is just a stupid level of beating. If I may. Um... There was a little bit of sad news that took place in the V8 Supercar world uh, this past weekend. Bob Jane, owner of Bob Jane T-Marts, um, passed away uh, this past weekend. And uh, I believe a lot of people posted on Facebook or Twitter that the first row of the grid should be left blank at Bathurst. And I'm hoping that that does happen because he did contribute quite a bit to uh, V8 Supercars over the years. Yes, indeed. And, you know, it was... You know, Bob Jane also, you know, inaugural member of the Supercars Hall of Fame, just was so dominant in the uh, in the 1960s, and you know, continued to give back to the sport. You know, with his with his own chain of automobile stores, which is really really neat. Uh, brought stock car racing to Australia, 
in the form of the Calder in the Calder Park Thunderdome. <laughs> Goodness, the the only oval that we remember being run in the opposite direction. God, that was so much fun. Um, and we also had Porsche Ren Sport reunion, where people went absolutely ape shit for Porsche factory drivers driving tractors around Laguna Seca. <laughs> And Earl Bamber did the final lap of the Porsche 919 Evo around Laguna Seca. Two seconds off the outright lap record. That is nuts. Should've but that wasn't even it. the... Yeah, that was that was not even the most exciting thing, because two days of tractor racing. Hey, hey, those are some mighty fine tractors. Damn, it's just like, hey... Porsche, I know, I know the 919 has run its course, but you know, and I know you've just launched a, a club sport version of your 935, like a retro remake, like an SNES mini version of the Porsche 935. <laughs> uh, but can we get like a one make tractor series? Can we please? Can we get bonus anyway. points for tractor tipping? <laughs> please. Oh, absolutely. Kids, uh, you may not want to brush up on your eye racing. You may want to brush up on your farming simulator 2018 if you really want to practice for these circuits. I'm just saying. Anyway, we've rambled on a lot, and I thank you very much for sticking with us. Thank you to everybody who's listening to the show live, and thank you to everybody who's listening to the recorded version. Um, places you can find us again, we are motorsport101.com we are on twitter at motorsport underscore 101 if you wish to follow us on facebook we're at facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 if you wish to follow our personal twitter handles we are at harrison 101 hd for dre who will be back next week we are at rj o'connell at ryan eric king that's with two a that's with two k's and at C DeHardy, that's C-D-E-H-A-R-D-E. And if you back us financially at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101.com, you get early access to both this and Bike Live for $5, and you get to listen to the show as they're being recorded for just 10 Ah, what a good show. And uh, look forward to seeing you, to hearing from you, and to seeing you again on the next episode for uh, for an absent Andre Harrison, and for Ryan Eric King, and for Krista Hardy, I've been RJ O'Connell, and thank you very much for what for listening to Motorsport 101, and we'll catch you on our next episode. Later, y'all. Wu Tang. <laughs> <laughs>